This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to the Must Listen To Saturday Morning Sports Talk Show in all of Acadiana. Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 1037 The Game studios, bringing you two great hours of sports talk to you as you get your weekend kick started off the right way. And, you know, I want to start things off a little bit differently. I'm going to just go right into it and just try and keep it together. Why? Well, because I want to talk about last night at. MLT Morefield. And a couple weeks ago, I mentioned the Kobe tribute on that Friday night after Kobe had passed, had passed away in that plane crash, a helicopter crash, a couple weeks ago. I mentioned it and how hard it must have been for either team to even think about like playing a game after all the emotions they went through. They had all, like, it felt like the tribute went on for like 30 minutes to an hour. It probably felt even longer for those players just sitting there. Letting all these emotions pour out in front of them. And then they played a played a game. I can say that a hundred times about what happened last night at the T. When paying tribute to someone that touched the Acadian community, probably unlike anyone else, like Tony Robichaux, the emotions ran high. I mean, hours before first pitch, I saw the Cajuns baseball Twitter put out a video. It was a really well done hype video. Not to the effect of like what we've seen with him at LSU and Will Stout, but it's really, really good. And Douglas Doming, shout out to him, did a bang up job with this one. He does a bang up job with a lot of the hype videos and all the videos in general that come out. Dude crushes it, bottom line. So seeing him do that hype video, it sent a lot of different things my way. A lot of different emotions hit me. 25 years of being a leader of men can do that to a lot of people. And I can about imagine, I can't imagine, I should say, what the last eight months of change have been for Colleen, Austin, Justin, and Ashley Robichaux. All those people have been dealing with a lot of stuff. And I, I don't know how they've been able to stay so strong, especially Colleen. I remember seeing her at the funeral after 4th of July weekend and like somehow she was able to kind of hold it all together, powered over. Full disclosure: I was unable to see the pregame tribute videos and some of the other festivities because I was on my way to there. But I can about imagine there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Probably plenty of Kleenex, and I'll I'll kind of talk about what I was hearing about it at, in a little bit. But when I found my spot at the Teague in the press box, I immediately felt just a big difference in the overall vibe. Friday night. It wasn't as loud. It was a lot less pronounced in terms of the loudness and the crowd reaction. 
it was almost like a solemn night. I was hearing the turn two. I the ball four was a lot less pronounced in the press box. I couldn't necessarily hear it as well as I normally could. But it just felt like a different a whole different vibe, especially after all the tributes. I mean, right now they're unveiling the statue for the, the Tony Robichaux statue right now in front of the Teague. They're trying to they're unveiling that as we speak. But it felt a lot more muted in recent, than I've seen in other years, especially with it being a full house. Selling out, announced attendance of 5,472. I talk about it all the time. Cajuns are a baseball school. Again, playing a game of baseball after the wave of emotions both teams went through is something I respect from these players. And head coach Matt Deggs, four. Then the game happened, and it wasn't the way anybody wanted the season to start. I talked about it during the two-minute drill. A 3-2 loss, and almost in a ironic sort of way, almost as ironic as rain on your wedding day. I know that doesn't necessarily mean ironic. It's just unfortunate. But the way the Cajuns lost was something Robichaux spoke about many a time, the three-run inning. It was a three-run home run from Brandon Hale, and that sealed the deal for the Cajuns. That's how things went. But I'm going to talk about the game a little bit later. We're going to take things to more of the human side. Because I'll admit it. And I can about imagine this week I brought up Austin, I brought up Justin, I brought up Ashley, I brought up Colleen Robichaux for a reason because I think they've had probably the roughest week again. They're kind of reliving this again. What happened during the, like, father has a heart attack, they take him to another hospital, and then he, he passes away right before the 4th of July. I can about imagine... They're kind of having a rough, it's this is like the roughest week. And I know Austin put that out on, on Facebook and Twitter earlier this week. And I have to agree with him. It's the toughest weekend for him. It's the toughest weekend for a lot of people. But I'll say that this week was a little rough for me as well. And it really started to hit me on Tuesday night. I forgot my usual recorder that I use when I was covering the softball game. So I had to use my phone. Now, full disclosure, before football season starts, I usually try to flush all the audio off of it. Also, my hard drive, safe space. I usually don't need new content from old sound, especially since we have a huge archive of sound here at Acadia in a sports station. And when I say huge archive of sound, I'm not lying. We've got stuff from, I believe, like dating back to 2016, 2015. We've got old archive interviews that we have lying around in our system. So, like, when I say we have old stuff, we have old stuff. So, whenever I pull out my phone and I look at some of the stuff I've recorded because sometimes I just don't remember, oh, hey, why did I record this? Because I usually have it's just voice recording 12, voice recording 5, and I usually delete them not long after. I had some that were left over. I had a couple things from SEC Media Days that I recorded. But the last thing on the list, because it goes in cr- like reverse chronological order from the most recent to the least recent. And the last recording that was on there was Tony Robichaux's press conference from 2018. Now, why am I saying 2018 in a press conference? Well, because this was after the Cajuns lost to Texas State. Why did that one stand out? Because it had one of my favorite quotes from him. It's not as much a robism. I say it's fact. And I'm going to play it for you right now. I played it for you when it happened. And I played it for you the Saturday after Roe passed away. It feels appropriate to drop it one more time. Well, I always try to tell them almost the same thing every year to try not to let 
uh, baseball be your identity. Don't hook your identity to a game um, because I'm in this profession. It can hook um, baseball to me as my identity, uh, but that's not my identity. That doesn't need to be their identity. Um, baseball coach is, is what I do. It's not who I am. And I told them to make sure that they keep their heads up and they realize that they don't need to let this game, any failure, um, or the game of baseball be your identity. Um, the way you live your life from this point on should be your identity. Um, I don't think the good Lord is going to be up there with uh, a radar gun and a stopwatch and some plyo boxes to see what kind of athlete they are. Um, I think he's going to be up there, and I think he's going to have some poignant questions for him. You know, what kind of husband were you? What kind of father were you? Um, did you put your hands on your wife? Did you treat your wife the way a woman should be treated? I think I think he's going to have some poignant questions for him. I don't think he's going to say, I don't think you can get in. you got 10 run ruled by Texas State. I think he's going to want to know what you've done with your life. And so our biggest challenge to him is not to let the sport become their identity because when they leave here, when they're when the game's over, when the sport's over for Demo, now his his identity identity will be gone if he's linked it to baseball. So that's the number one thing I try to tell him. I try to get him to understand that life's personal and professional challenges are the real games, not baseball. Um, you're playing baseball, you're playing a game. This is a game, uh, at the end of the day. But you got a lot of life left. Take what happened in this game. Use what happened in it. I told them we've got some players since they've left here when they thought their last out was made, that there was the end of the world because they had looked at, hooked their identity to a game, that they, they, they've had some, some, some things that happened to them in their life after they left here that's way tougher than this game tonight. This is a tough loss. Nobody likes it. Our players don't like it. Our coaches don't like it. But we've got players that have left here that – have lost their wife. We got players that have left here that lost their baby on the night before they were going to have their first child. Uh, we've got uh, another player that his son was killed in a car accident and he had to bury his son. So, so my biggest thing to them at the end of the season is just to make sure that they don't get caught up in cultural measurement. Don't let somebody tell you, you know, that maybe you were a loser because you lost a baseball game. Yeah, you lost a baseball game, but that didn't make you a loser and make sure that when you move on from here, um, you go do the things, you go live your life the way you're supposed to live it. Because, again, um, I don't think the good Lord's going to be up there with a radar gun to see how hard Stokey's throwing or to to see a time demo in the 60. I just don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to want to know what kind of men they were. And that's our ultimate teach here is to try to get him the, to get from a boy to a man. And, you know, for the last eight months, I've been kind of trying to find the words to what Rob's show meant to me. And I think I can finally find those words. Rob was one of the greatest men I've ever been around. Of all the press conferences I've been to, and I've been to a lot, it was his I look forward to the most. The Robisms he'd drop and some of the stories about life he'd talk about. Had you feeling like he were underneath the learning tree? And I'm kind of stealing from the late Big Cat Ernie Ladd. He wasn't a coach, despite what his title said. He was a leader of men and his players, and not just his players, but his coaches, the community around him, and anyone even closely associated with the program. 
had a chance to talk with Dan McDonald after the game last night. I asked him how he was because I know, and odds are you know, exactly how close those two were. He mentioned to me that he almost lost it a couple times, and I can understand. During that broadcast on CST, I believe it was on ESPN Plus as well, I don't blame him. This is probably the toughest weekend for every fan of Cage's athletics because it's not just honoring a guy who coached his team to a World Series berth in 2000 and over 900 wins. It's all about honoring the humble son of a butcher from Crowley, Louisiana, that didn't ask for much and helped turn young 18-year-old boys into grown young men. Ready for the bumps and bruises that life would hand them along the way, both on and off the baseball timing. We're going to have a great show coming up today. Trying to keep it together as well. <laughs> what do you know? Talking with Greg Peterson on College Hoops at 1030. And as we inch closer to the month of March, we'll definitely have Greg on a lot more. We're also going to discuss LSU Cajun softball with Beth Arena at 1130. But it's all about what's coming up next. We go from a little bit of a sadder story and a really just an emotional night, probably an emotional weekend as well, to something really cool that happened last night. And that is Sharif O'Neal is headed to LSU. And we need to talk to someone who follows LSU pretty darn closely. And that's Billy Inbody of 247 Sports. And we can get to that next right here on 103.7 The Game. The numbers don't lie. Because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. He's fat! On Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. You mentioned going to a good school. Have you made a decision on where, where you might be playing? Uh, yes, I'm going to LSU. And it's just a done deal. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to Following in the footsteps. Yeah. yeah. Big footsteps, those are. Yeah, real big footsteps. But, yeah, I'm ready for it. You know, great program. Just ready to – Louisiana's a different scene. I've been in L.A. most of my life, but I'm, I'm ready for it. That was Sharif O'Neal talking with Robin Lundberg, part of CBS Sports, also Sports Illustrated. Tried to get him on the show, but, you know, things just didn't necessarily work out. All-Star Weekend, kind of a kind of a big deal. But you know who else is a big deal? Our next guest aboard the Game Hotline. He is one of the key contributors for Go To 7 Sports, especially when it comes to the basketball recruiting front for the LSU Tigers. That is Billy Inbody, once again, currently on the Game Hotline. Billy, what's going on? Not too much. Appreciate uh, you guys having me on. I appreciate you joining the show. And, you know, first things first, whenever you had him, um, Sharif O'Neal commit to his uh, have his official visit, did you expect him to commit? Yeah, I did. From from what from what I'd heard uh, coming out of LSU side, uh, I, they felt like look, they had done a good job recruiting him and and getting uh, the point across that he can come home in a way uh, to, to LSU and 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 you know start over and and get a fresh start, which I think he really needed, and um, you know just did a really really good job recruiting him. I mean, they recruited him out of high school uh, a little bit. Um, UCLA was kind of one of the teams along with Kentucky that was kind of considered the front runner when he got out of high school, but there was already a relationship there with Will Wade and a lot of the staff. And so, um, from hearing from, you know, LSU side of things, when that official visit wrapped up, they, they kind of felt like it was more of a matter of, uh, not when or not if, but when, uh, Sharif O'Neill would end up committing to LSU. 
The million-dollar question for me is, you know, why didn't, like, L- he, uh, Sharif O'Neal commit to LSU right from the jump? Was it more because he wanted to step out of his father's shadow, or was there something else going on? I think Memphis was, was in there trying to get him to visit and check out their program and and, and bring him in. But uh, at the end of the day, basketball recruiting is really different than, than football and transfers as well. It's, it's almost more so uh, – that guys won't commit on their visits or won't go public at least on their visits and they'll they'll either go check out another school and kind of you know think think, think things over with their families or whatnot uh, and then make an announcement later on I mean that interview uh, that, that you played with Sharif was pretty off the cuff you know you just kind of got you know caught at NBA all-star game and they were chatting it up and he said oh yeah I'm I'm, I'm going to Alex that, that kind of shows I think yeah, that that Cali side of Sharif as well is kind of more laid back and and uh, wasn't thinking too much of the the next move. And you know, when it comes to just LSU hoop fans, Billy is like, should they kind of temper their expectations? Because like, obviously, everybody just is immediately going to think Shaquille O'Neal's son. He could pull out probably being great, but should they temper their expectations considering everything that he's been through over the last few years? Yeah, I mean, he had that, that heart surgery to, to fix that condition that he had had, and, and they got that on track, and then he ends up playing a little bit this, this past year. Mick Cronin's a different cat from, from Steve Alford, who recruited Sharif to, to UCLA. And, and so from that perspective, I just don't think he fit what Mick wants to do, and Mick just recruits kind of a different style of player. And uh, he got a little bit of run and had some, some upside there for a minute, but it clearly wasn't working out at UCLA. I think with this this year that uh, he probably needs to sit out and, and take some time and develop, and uh, you'll see him do that, and and more likely than not he'll he'll have to sit out um, this this entire year and, and develop, and then from there you know LSU I think will be able to uh, really work with him and develop him and get get him into their culture, and I think just watching what they've done with Josh LeBlanc and 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 hearing what uh, you know the staff had to say about him is really kind of showing just how much I think a, a redshirt year for certain players can really help them improve and, and develop, and that's what Josh is doing right now, and that's what Sharif is going to end up doing as well. And, you know, when it, when it comes to LSU's 2021 class, that I'm a, you got Sharif, he's going to be a part of in that, in this sense. What does it do to it in terms of the rankings? Because I know, I think before that, they were ranked ninth in the country, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it won't really do anything for them as far as rankings, but I guess when when you put together the, the talent composite of rankings uh, of high school players, it'll help them a good bit. I mean, he's a, he was top top fifty uh, player coming out of high school, maybe top seventy five. So uh, he's a high end talent. He's skilled. Uh, he just needs to develop that motor and, and and work on his frame and get get with Greg Golden and and get stronger and, and more ready to go. Um, but overall, I mean the Talent-wise, I mean, he's a big, big addition to the team, and and uh, they'll get credit in that way. But it won't really do anything in terms of rankings. Talking right now with Billy Embody of Two Four Seven Sports, and you know LSU Bama going to be taking place this afternoon on the hardwood in Coleman Coliseum. Which way do you see this ball game going? I like LSU being able to go in there and, and take care of business. Bama is a team that right now is their their NCAA tournament. Hopes are kind of fading into uh, the sunset right now. I know they'll be playing really, really hard trying to get a signature win that can help them kind of get back on track for the tournament. But um, 
I think LSU is just more skilled. They play really hard. They'll, they'll, uh, I think the two game skid they had was, especially the Vanderbilt one was more of just kind of like a flip on the radar, not necessarily a, um, a trend. And, uh, now that they got past Missouri, they kind of got over that emotional hangover from the Auburn game. They can put it together and, and I think they'll play a, a decent, uh, you know, good Alabama team and, and play them really hard, but, but be too much for them to handle. Billy, thank you so much for coming on. You know, I appreciate it on, on kind of short notice, mind you. This news kind of dropped last night, so I think all of us are kind of like, what's going on here? Yeah, so anytime, anytime. I mean, a Friday night, Valentine's Day news dump. I mean, who doesn't love that, right? Who doesn't <laughs> love that? I have to agree. Billy, once again, thank you so much, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Sounds good. Thanks. All right, that was Billy Embody of Go 24-7 Sports. Hopefully you enjoyed that because I absolutely just loved hearing a little conversation about Sharif O'Neal. Again, I think a lot of like the expectations, the fans need to temper them down a little bit. And I think we had a little bit of technical issues. Those have been since worked out. We had a little so apologies for that if you missed a little bit of it. But trust me, we got the thing recording. So we'll have it up on demand for you shortly after the show wraps up. And trust me, you want to hear that opening segment. If you missed if we had some technical issues, I'm going to try and figure these out, but the game hotline open right now, 337-706-0111. We're going to try and figure out what's causing all this, and when we come back, we'll talk a whole lot more about some college hoops right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Man, this is going to be a great show. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Hey, Karen Gross having a parade right now, so why not have a parade of guests? Because we've also, don't forget, we got Beth Tarina joining the program at 1130. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live, as always, from the 103.7 The Game studios. Hopefully you're having a great one so far. And we'll just keep the train rolling on here on Acadiana Sports Station. We're going to flip it on over to the world of college basketball. We've spent a good time talking about college baseball and a little bit more about the Houston Nationals. We'll probably get more to that in the 11 o'clock hour. But in the meantime and in between time, we got to get to the game hotline right now to talk with Greg Peterson, part of the VSIN network, and also does his own podcast, Hooping with Hoops. Greg, what is going on, Migo? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Nice day out here in Las Vegas, my friend. I can about imagine it's pretty nice in Las Vegas. It's probably a little bit warmer as well because, man, it was a cold one last night out watching some college baseball, but I know it's pretty warm inside a lot of college basketball stadiums. And we got to start things off. We didn't have you on last week, largely because we were kind of just a little bit too enthralled with the XFL. We'll definitely talk about that later on in the program. That being said, you know, last weekend we had LSU lose to Auburn, and that was a big surprise. Overtime loss for the Tigers, but they bounced back beating Mizzou. What can you say about the LSU team that you've seen the last couple weeks? I'm actually very encouraged by it. And you take a look at that Auburn loss that you mentioned a little bit earlier. They looked good in that game. They just completely disintegrated late. And both teams were just burying three after three after three. 
at the end of regulation. It was really just a barrage. And I do think that LSU has a very good chance here coming up this Saturday because what they've got is a guy, Javante Smart. He's done a better job of controlling the ball. He's not turning it over as much as he did at the beginning of the year. You've got so many players down low. You've got your Darius Days, Emmett Williams, guys like this. And this is an LSU team that they've been highly efficient with regards to just their offense in general, top 20 with regards to a points-per-possession standpoint. I think that this should be a very good outing for them on Saturday. And, Greg, you know, we, we look at that matchup to later on this afternoon, LSU-Alabama in, in Coleman Coliseum. What do you say about the Tigers playing in Coleman Coliseum? Because in the past, it's definitely been a big bugaboo for some programs. It certainly has been, but I think that LSU playing in the state of Alabama last week helped them out a little bit. And this is an LSU team that it feels like they're a little bit of a chameleon, doesn't it? They can play fast. They can play slow. With Alabama, they attempted something like 58 threes a couple days ago against Auburn. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous with the way that LSU is able to guard the arc. If they're able to force Alabama to do that again, they should have a lot of success because with Alabama, this is a bunch that they just don't really have a lot down low. They do get back Herb Jones. That is big, but with this Alabama bunch, we've seen them go on like 15-0 runs before, but they also give up their runs as well. As I recall in that game against Auburn a few days ago, they got down 14-0 to before they scored a point. Talk right now with Greg Peterson of VSIN and also the Hoopin' with Hoops podcast and just looking at some of the other notable matchups on tab this weekend. I think we need to start off looking at Oklahoma, Kansas. It's coming up at about a half hour from right now. The third-ranked Kansas Jayhawks, 21-3. to Oklahoma, not necessarily as great as they were a few years ago with Buddy Heald definitely leading the way. But what do you say about this matchup in the Big 12? I think that this is going to be a good measuring stick game for Oklahoma. Because with Oklahoma, what you really do like is the fact that this is a smart team. They're in the top ten with regards to fewest free throws per possession surrendered on defense. They also don't turn the ball over a lot. Kansas coming off a huge one in Morgantown against West Virginia. They are a top-ten team with regards to defensive efficiency, which is merely the amount of points per possession that you give up. What you need from Oklahoma, Christian Doolittle, Brady Manning. Both these guys stand right around six foot eight. Both these guys are able to bury some triples. But Doolittle has been doing very little, for lack of a better term, for Oklahoma recently. He's fallen off the map a little bit. If they're able to get him going, I think they're going to be able to hang in this game. And we've already seen teams go into the fog and win this year, most notably Baylor. I do think that Kansas should be able to pull this one out. I think that's going to be a little bit closer than a lot of people think so. And, you know, looking over at another 11 o'clock matchup, you got to look at the Syracuse-Florida State matchup. Syracuse seemingly always kind of winds up just sneaking by and getting into the NCAA tournament. But this year it just does not seem like the same old Syracuse program. Little losses to NC State recently, also a – Pretty disappointing loss, 97-88 to Duke back at the beginning of the month. But what do you say about the Syracuse-Florida State matchup? Is Florida State just going to roll away with this one? I actually do like what I've seen out of Syracuse recently. They've actually played significantly better on the road than at home. At home a few days ago, they take that loss to NC State, but they've already shown their might on the road, being able to knock off the likes of Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. Of Florida State. This is a team that's always handicapped because they've got a guy at the head coaching spot in Leonard Ableton that has no idea what he's doing in-game. He's actually a very good pregame tacticianer. He does a great job of recruiting. In-game, I would rather have a paper card or cardboard cutout, to say the least. It's been just a little bit of a situation that has not been good there. 
with Syracuse, the big key is being able to drain some triples because you've got Buddy Beheim. He's been able to do a lot along with Elijah Hughes, a guy that mixes in, mixes in there right around 19 points per game, which is nearly 40% from three. With Syracuse, not a lot of depth. Florida State has a ton of it. I do think that Florida State is able to pull away late, but I think that Syracuse lingers for about 32 to 35 minutes before that depth takes over. Talking right now with Greg Peterson, part of VSIN, and also Hooping with Hoops, our college basketball expert, unlike any other. And looking at the 3 o'clock matchup, I think we definitely need to talk about that. It is number 14 West Virginia taking on number one Baylor. Baylor with that one loss on their record. How much are you looking forward to this one? This seems one seems like the marquee matchup of the weekend. Yeah, I do think that this is going to be a very good game. I'm very intrigued to see this one. What game was it again? It was the um, uh, Baylor-West Virginia matchup. Oh, with Baylor, this is a bunch that they've won like 20 straight games. It is absolutely ridiculous what they are doing. And then when you take a look at the flip side for West Virginia, I mentioned it a few minutes ago with their loss against Kansas. It's like squad that's just not getting a lot of offense right now. Under 60 points in each other last two games. At the end of January, they were really starting to take off, but you don't know what you're going to get out of this backcourt from game to game. With Baylor, what you love is the fact that this team has not allowed more than 70 points in a game ever since the beginning of December. You've got Freddie Gillespie down low. He has been absolutely terrific over nine rebounds per game. You've got so much balance as well. You've got so many guys that have transferred in, like a Masio Teague, who's been able to give the team about 15 points per game. I do think that Baylor should be able to roll in this one. I will make them about a touchdown favorite, personally. I think that Baylor should be able to win this game by seven with West Virginia. Key to this game, being able to control things down low. Oscar Sheboy, Derek Culver, both give the team about eight and a half rebounds per game. Hey, Greg, you know, flipping on over, we've been spending a lot of time in the South. Might as well kind of jump over and get to what's going on on the West Coast and starting things off with a, one of the nightcaps is number two Gonzaga taking on Pepperdine. Is this just going to be in Gonzaga? They're going to roll over them? I think so. With Gonzaga, this team has just become a machine. Now, the big key is being able to have a healthy killing utility because he has been in and out of the fold for the last two years for this bunch. This is a guy that stands 6'10 at his full force two years ago, was shooting 48% from three. That is absolutely lethal, but even without him, Admon Gilder comes over from Texas A&M as a gradual transfer. You've got Ryan Woolrich, a guy that comes over from North Texas. He's able to bury over 40% of his threes. That's just a turnover ratio near three. Phil Petrovich down low has been able to give the team about 13 to 14 points per game. I like what he does. Oh, Pepperdine, you do have a nice point guard in Kobe Ross. He's able to give about seven and a half assists per game, 19 points. And Kessler Edwards down low is a nice player as well. Last time these two teams played, Pepperdine actually held in there. Gonzaga. They typically don't let teams hang around twice in a season, though. The first time a team hangs around, typically the second time they get trumped. I think that that will be the case here. I think Gonzaga should be able to win this game by 15. And, Greg, one more college basketball matchup, then we'll get to a little bit more fun stuff. I think, obviously, the other matchup and the team everybody's looking forward to seeing this weekend is going to be that Boise State-San Diego State matchup. The Aztecs still unbeaten 25-0 and on the year. My goodness, can anybody stop San Diego State? I do think that there's going to be a point because, let's face it, San Diego State, they haven't played a ranked team all year long. I do recognize that Iowa and Creighton are good teams, and they were able to knock them off in the non-conference. But with that said, this is a San Diego State squad that they are just doing an absolutely amazing job right now. you got to give them their just due. 
This is a team that from three-point range rate to the top 25 in all of college basketball, they've allowed more than 70 points, I believe, once since the beginning of December, so they've been able to do a good job of that. And you count a lot of guys that have transferred in from other programs. K.J. Fagan, along with Malachi Flynn. These are guys that have been in this spot before against good competition. You've got Yanni Wetzel who came over from Vanderbilt. He's been able to give the team a big lift with Nathan Menza being out with respiratory issues. I think that San Diego State should be able to roll over Boise State, but with that said, I do think that there's going to come a point, especially in the NCAA tournament, where San Diego State is going to meet their match just because they haven't been playing the best competition recently. And you know, it's all right now with Greg Peterson of VSIN out in Las Vegas, Sin City, the place where sports betting it just absolutely dominates the world. I don't want to get your thoughts on this. Week one of the XFL, what like from what you were hearing from some of the sport books, what was the betting like in that? Because it feels like, you know, it's just degenerate gamblers going to degenerate gamblers. And with the fact that you had in the XFL a lot of those spreads be broadcast on television, one, what were the, what were the sport books like? And two, do you see that happening more with the NBA and the NFL and the MLB in the not-too-distant future? Well, they'll show the spreads and they'll show the over-unders. I do think that the betting aspect is drawing a lot of people to the XFL. You may recall some of the commercials were for Circus Sports. That is a new casino out here in Las Vegas developed by Derek Stevens. I actually talked to him about this over the weekend. He was very happy with what he saw from the XFL in week one. And with the XFL, the reason why I think it's going to be more successful than the AAF is because, for one, like you mentioned, they're really embracing gambling. AAF really didn't do so because, let's face it, the product that the XFL, the AAF, the CFL, the whatever FL, it's just not going to compare to the NFL because with the NFL, you're always going to get those best athletes. But when you have something like gambling that is able to bring some people in, I do think that it makes a little bit of an impact and with the XFL as well. What you're noticing is that the rules are set up for scoring as well. People don't want to see those AAF games where it was 17-13, to 16-10, things like that. They want to see touchdowns. They want to see people hitting each other. They want to see the kickoffs like you had new kickoff rules for the XFL. That's something interesting. The AAF was just sort of trying to rehash the NFL and that's why it was not successful, because the XFL is going outside the box. They're doing these things like gambling. They're doing things like the kickoff rule. I think they will be. And, Greg, one more before we get out of here. Obviously, everybody here is talking about what's going on with the Houston Astros, their apology tour. I'll definitely dive into that a little bit later. But I want to look at it from the betting perspective. I know spring training is just about to get started. So I want to ask you, the over-under win total that I'm seeing right now, this is courtesy of Odd Shark. And I'm seeing the Houston Astros at 93.5 for the win total over or under. Which way are you leaning on that one? I would actually look at the over with Caesars before we had all the firings with regards to management and everything like that. This is closer to 100. So you're actually getting some good value now on the Astros. A lot of people are just all enthralled with this, but the players really aren't affected. And let's face it, the general manager, yeah, it's a big deal, but. These players go out there and play. You've got Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve. You've got Justin Verlander. I mean, the list of stars at both the, in both the rotation and also in the lineup go on and on. I do have to be looking at the Astros for none other than look at who they're playing in the division as well. The Seattle Mariners are terrible. I recognize that the Angels 
have made some big-time signings, but haven't we seen the Angels just flame out with some of those big-time signings? I'm looking at you, Albert Pujols. It's just one of these spots where, yeah, the Houston Astros, they're apologizing for, in the words of Conor McGregor, when he got his second belt, absolutely nothing. But with that said, I do think that they're going to be able to overcome this. I think that they should be able to be a 95-win team once again, not necessarily because they're going to be having that camaraderie or anything like that, but it's just because you look at that roster in general. There's just too much talent for them to not win this division. Greg, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down. The, we'll talk to you hopefully next week. Awesome. Thank you so much, Glenn. All right, that was Greg Peterson. You can follow him on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81, and I have to agree with him. Whenever you think about the Houston Astros and what happened there, I think it was a lot like Conor McGregor. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. That is absolutely fantastic. Love that drop from Greg Peterson. Going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, and when we come back, we got a whole lot more to get to. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 thegamecom From the preps, I gave it a uh, a ten, a ten to the pros. And everywhere in between, let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, one hundred three seven. The game. The grind of baseball season is a long one, and the famous CD isn't afraid of rounding the bases on a Saturday morning. Time to play ball and touch them all. Right here on 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Major League Baseball. Well, kind of, sort of, when it's college baseball season getting back underway, which means rounding the bases is finally back after months and months away from not having that wonderful intro. Hadn't heard that in a while, and also, more importantly, Major League soundtrack. When I hear that, I know baseball season is getting well underway. And we start things off with what happened at the Teague last night. Three-run home run from Brandon Hale gives Southeastern 3-2 win. I mentioned earlier, it's like rain on your wedding day. Kind of ironic when you think about the fact that Coach Robichaux talks all the time about three-run innings, and that's what did him in. Connor Angel, the Canuck, looked good on the bump, allowing one earned run on three hits, struck out seven in five and two-thirds. But the bigger story is 16 Cajuns struck out. Justin Green, alone Cajun that batted without a strikeout next to his name. Cajun bats were a lot like the weather last night. Cold. The Cajuns will be back in action with the first of a two-game series against La Tech later today. But first pitch set for 2 o'clock. And then we look at LSU, Indiana. The Tigers' bats were alive last night. It was almost reversal of fortune, if you will, compared to what we saw at the Teague. Tigers' bats came alive. 8-1 to win. And it's surprisingly a two-run blast from Cade Doty, the big highlight of the first inning, in his first collegiate at-bat. So congrats to him for getting it done. What a hell of a way to start. Cole Henry looks solid last night. A lot of the relief guys look good, and now they get ready to kind of try and improve their record to 3-0. and They're playing two today. It's a beautiful day. And also the fact you got some inclement weather hitting the batter's area tomorrow. Trying to avoid all that, so... First pitch for game one at 1 o'clock. Game two will be 60 minutes after the first game wraps up. Sadly, though, due to LSU basketball, those games won't air right here on Acadiana Sports Station. And also, just for full perspective, Coach Joe threw out the first pitch. It was not a strike, but he threw it from the rubber, so give him 
an A for effort. He's like, I'm about to imagine at 30 years old, I couldn't do that right here, right now. Holla at me. Then you look at South Alabama, looking at some Sunbelt action. we got to talk about the Jags. It was 0-0 headed into the bottom of the ninth, and then all of a sudden, South Al wins 1-0 over the Camels. 1-0 walk-off home run in the ninth. Sure made one person who used to work here very, very happy. And then Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers got the win, but some sad news came out of it. Gary Gilmore announced he has liver cancer, so prayers up to him, his family, and also the Coastal Carolina community. Gary Gilmore, of course, longtime head coach at Coastal Carolina. Then you had a big rank matchup, undoubtedly the marquee matchup of Friday night as part of the MLB Ford Tournament with Once again, 13th-ranked Michigan taking on 2nd-ranked Bandy, and the Commodores fell short. Matthew Schmidt hitting a two-run bomb in the ninth, sealed the deal, and Bandy comes up short. A big surprise when it comes down to it. So we're going to wind up looking at what's going to happen with that team the rest of the year. I didn't see any of the broadcasts. I'd say thankfully because odds are I'd have to hear your boy, the Vandy Whistler, and I refuse to believe this guy wasn't there. The guy's everywhere. But that was just one heck of a contest. The MLB 4. And trying to get the schedule right now. Okay, so yeah. So Vanderbilt's going to be taking on UConn later tonight. 5 o'clock first pitch. And then Vandy will take on Cal Poly to wrap up the weekend on Sunday at 2 o'clock. No winnings going to start after 5.30. So that's about all we got. For you in hour number one, a star-studded hour number one, Billy Embody, Greg Peterson, joining the program. Appreciate them getting on the show because, obviously, it's just great to have their perspectives, especially in the world of college basketball. Didn't expect it to kind of run a show where largely, again, I've mentioned before, this is a big college baseball house. Things didn't necessarily work out that way. It is what it is, but trust me, we're going to give you a lot of college baseball talk on this program going forward. Things just don't necessarily work out the way you want it to. I'm not complaining. Because we had a lot of great fun in the first hour. If you missed any of it, and from what I've been able to hear, some of you might have missed it. So check it out, 1037thegame.com. It's going to be up shortly after this show wraps up today. But in the meantime, we got another hour of the program. The game hotline is going to be open, 337 to open up hour two. Beth Tarina joins the show at 1130. You're listening to 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD next. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. And get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Hour number two of two getting underway right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And boy, oh boy, we got a lot to talk about in hour number two. Beth Serena joined the program at 1130. And, you know, 
Full disclosure was trying to get him. Uh, Robin Lundberg, CBS Sports and Sports Illustrated, kind of the, was the guy who broke the news to come on eleven fifteen. Obviously, with the NBA All Star Game, a lot of things are going on, so not necessarily going to happen. But hey, I appreciate him at least, at least trying a for effort. I'll say that much. So I got a lot of time to talk about a lot of different things. That was my laptop going off for a quick moment when it comes to Alex Bregman and his apology, or lack thereof, depending on who you talk to. And I wanted to spend this segment talking about that. I wanted to spend time talking about the fact that the Astros' apology tour made things worse. And then, oh boy, not long after leaving the Cajuns game, we go grab some late dinner over at a local fast food establishment. Just going to leave it at that. I see a report from Yahoo that several little leagues in Southern California, you heard me right, Southern California, are banning the name Astros from being used, which poses a question I feel like I need to kind of throw out towards parents of youth baseball players, youth, youth baseball coaches, youth ba- baseball leagues in the state of Louisiana. Would your Little League be okay with banning the Astros' name from being used? Be you know Again, Little League, USSA, whatever it is. Astros, the team name is being banned by South California Youth Leagues. That's including stuff like Long Beach, Orange County, or the OC. This is actually coming from the Orange County Register, which is also kind of which they also credited in the article from Yahoo Sports, Ryan Young, with the report. And according to Long Beach Little League President Steve Klaus, he said that parents are disgusted. They're disgusted with the Astros and their lack of ownership and accountability. We know there's more to the scandal. What's coming tomorrow? With the Astros, you've got premeditated cheating. And even like, and basically Los Angeles has treated the Houston Astros like the pariah that they honestly... To a certain extent, should be. Remember, the Astros beat the Dodgers for the World Series in 2017, and one Los Angeles television station labeled Jose Altuve simply as Astros cheater. Yes, you heard me right. Banning a team name is going to sound pretty excessive. And again, none of the children who play in the league or the adults who run it are even remotely involved in the scandal, but players seem to be behind the move too. Sometimes I can debate maybe this was a little bit more of a forced statement, according to this is from an eleven and an eleven year old kid was interviewed for this story. That's a whole different story for a whole different time, but he said, and I quote I don't think it's right to represent a team that's been cheating. The Dodgers got robbed. It's not fair. They asked an eleven year old this question, and that's what they gave him. I feel like there was a little bit more prepared statement from that kid and his parents may have helped him with that is it the right opinion I don't think so and I'll explain why because I think there's a lot of different ways you can you can slice this thing to me this is the cancel culture coming out in full effect and I've seen it a lot on social media in fact I saw Barrett Salee good guy we follow each other on Twitter we always have a lot of fun especially when it comes to his Atlanta Falcons blowing a 28-3 to lead He's looking forward to the Bravos winning the World Series. Definitely highly favored. But that being said, he posed it and said it outright. It's time. Like, there should be some severe things happening. And cancel 
the Houston Astros after their whole situation where they didn't answer questions at the press conference and speak when the clubhouse was open later. Cancel the entire Astros organization was when he said, I responded with, might as well cancel the Patriots with all the cheating they did and still do. Take, I want Andy Gresh to try and explain that when he goes on his show later this afternoon. You'll hear a little bit of it right here on 103.7 The Game because we'll kind of cut out of that whenever it returns, whenever we got LSU baseball, LSU basketball, excuse me, at 2.30 pregame, 3 o'clock tip. But it's amazing. Sign stealing has been a part of the game since Jump Street, and the cancel culture wants to ostracize the Astros and treat them like a pariah. Do they deserve to be like all the things that happened to them? You suspend the manager for a year. You suspend the GM for a year. Both those guys get fired. The $5 million fine, that all makes sense. I understand that. All this stuff has happened. They've apologized. They may not be the apology you wanted, but at the end of the day, this is what you're getting. This is what's happening. If you can't deal with that, I don't know how to help you. There's not a no way in my mind that I can stand here 2020 and this liberal state of California wants to ban the name Astros from being used because they cheated. And honestly, it's kind of hypocritical because this past Sunday, the trade got finalized conveniently while I was going out watching a movie, which is a whole different conversation. We're holding for a day about how when I go watch movies, breaking news happens. It's a, I'm going to talk about that one day on this show about how Billy Napier got hired while I was watching Star Wars. I almost spoiled it for everybody on, on, on the Internet. That being said, again, you just traded for Mookie Betts and David Price, two guys that were on the Boston Red Sox team that allegedly cheated. There's no damning evidence like we saw from the Astros. The investigation is still going on. Don't be surprised if Alex Cora is banned for baseball because I feel like he is the real godfather of all of this. You want to try and push the blame on Carlos Beltran. He called it out as straight-up BS. I have to agree with him. It probably is straight-up BS. But why isn't and why wasn't there as much outcry and wanting to see people banned from the sport and seeing franchises get quote-unquote canceled when the New England Patriots got caught cheating not once but twice and a third time for illegally scouting the Bengals, where team to cheat against, but okay. No one was crucifying them like we're all seeing the Astros get crucified by the MLB, fan base, sports writers, the talking heads on the mothership, MLB Network, Mad Dog Russo, the Sheldon Cooper of Sports Raider, not even to mention him by name, but all those other guys. I think everybody's crucifying them for all the wrong reasons. Nobody's crucifying the New England Patriots for getting caught cheating with Spygate, Deflategate, whatever happened with the Bengals, which is which was kind of immediately like taken care of. But there should be a situation. Bottom line, full stop, that the Astros shouldn't be treated like a pariah whenever you're not treating the New England Patriots or the other franchise that was caught cheating. Don't touch the golden boy, basically. You cannot pass the Yankees or the Red Sox. You cannot beat the New England Patriots. You cannot do that. If you do that, we must cancel you. We must make you obsolete. 
I'm sitting here to tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, that the reason why this is happening and we're seeing the Astros get crucified to all damnation is because it's still considered America's pastime and somehow, someway, it's still held to a higher standard even after the steroid scandal of the 90s and 2000s that kind of helped save the league, to be honest with you. Remember, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire's home run contest to see who could set the single-season record. Barry Bonds breaking the record. All of it was done thanks to the juice. But guess what? It got people watching MLB again. After the strike in the 90s, it felt like the MLB was on its last leg. A lot like maybe the NHL is now. The NHL doesn't have nearly as much grasp on the fan base as it did back in the 90s. Back in the 90s when you had Wayne Gretzky dominating. All these lockouts hurt franchise, hurt organizations from having long-term success because people realize, hey, this kind of sucks. And the fact that the NHL can't get it right, they got... They've got a lockout twice in the last decade. Thankfully, the NFL hasn't had that yet. The day that happens is going to be a very bad situation, and the XFL can take advantage of that. But again, the MLB wants this to be a gentleman's game when, guess what? Cheating is still going to happen because it's been a part of the game forever. We, we've heard in the past, you know, Tony Russo used to have a trigger, basically, in the scoreboard where a light would go on and off and it blink once for a fastball, blink twice for a changeup or an off-speed pitch. That's just how the game's been. And it's just the fact that it's now coming out that the Astros have to be punished and pretty much canceled. I want to hear from the Boston Red Sox once all this stuff comes out, because I wouldn't be surprised if this comes out right before opening day with the Boston Red Sox organization and the investigation. Because you can about imagine they'll be getting it twice as bad and Alex Cora gets banned from baseball like Pete Rose did because I think he was the real ringleader in all this. But I'm going to end with this and I'm going to need you to just follow along with me for a moment. This is a lot like kayfabe back in the day with pro wrestling. Somehow, some way, I can always relate things back to pro wrestling. If you remember back in the day in the golden age of pro wrestling, heels rode with heels, babyfaces rode with babyfaces, and it, they never really interacted outside of the 20 by 20 squared circle. It kept the element of wrestling being real despite it being clearly predetermined. The curtain was lifted back in the 90s, and we all learned the, how the ins and outs of that business works. And Imagine trying to bring back kayfabe in wrestling in 2020 when everybody knows that wrestling's predetermined and these guys are probably buddies outside of the 20 by 20 squared circle, you wind up creating a different situation. And I think at the end of the day, here's the problem. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's just like what we're seeing right now. People have been cheating for a long, long time. Sign stealing pretty much since the beginning of the MLB becoming what it was. I'm sure people uh, cheating. There's been cheating in the MLB for a long, long time. There's cheating in NASCAR. There's cheating in a lot of different leagues. But the MLB is held to this higher standard because they talk about the unwritten rules of baseball, how you shouldn't bat flip, how you shouldn't do these things, shouldn't do that. Guess what? I don't care. I don't care that you want to see these big games. I don't care about that. You know what I want to see? I want to see entertainment. And I'm tired 
of hearing constant negativity about the Houston Astros and how they should be altogether wiped from the sport of baseball's history books, should vacate the 2017 World Series title. That is not going to happen. And here's why. Because of the fact that this isn't a situation like USC. This isn't the NCAA where they'll vacate titles, they'll vacate Heisman trophies. That's the occasions. They have four New Orleans Bowl titles, and they like two of them are null and void, if not three. I have to remember now. But that being said, there's still a lot of issues afoot. This is an epidemic in the league. Maybe not to the certain extent that we've seen the Astros and the Red Sox and maybe just maybe Carlos Beltran tried to do after his baseball career ended. And everybody wants to paint him as the heel of this whole situation. The heel is Alex Cora. Alex Cora is the godfather, is the linchpin for all this stuff. I'm telling you right now. I don't care who you are, but that's where I'm going with that. It's what co- it's what's causing all this right now. And I'm just very frustrated that every week I have to kind of keep bringing this up. But again, it all comes from this soft little liberal state of California that loves to just baby people and apparently wants to ban the Astros name from existence because of the fact that they were robbed from robbed of winning a World Series. Guess what? They weren't robbed of winning anything. The Astros won. It may not have been 100% fair and square, but guess what? You should have done a better job of figuring these things out. And more importantly, you should have done a better job hitting. Jock Peterson, he was crying and complaining to no end. Guess what? He had 136 in the World Series. Hitting 136 in the World Series? Cody Bellinger, get out of here with that mess, bro. You are you are not you weren't that good in the World Series. So a lot of the onus is on you, but why are you complaining? about just the Astros, whether more likely than not, the Boston Red Sox cheated as well when they beat you for the World Series title the next year. And you know what? I hope the Dodgers win the World Series this year, just so you can finally shut up about the fact that you never got it. I feel like you're a lot like Dolph Ziggler, and you're gonna another wrestling reference. Whenever he was in that feud with Kofi Kingston after WrestleMania, saying, it should have been me. It should have been me. Quit making it about yourself and move on with your life. The Astros won the World Series. You didn't deal with it. I'm sure you don't hear from the team that I'm a USC beat back in the 2000s when Reggie Bush was on that team that his Heisman Trophy got vacated and the national title got vacated, and they're not walking around saying it should have been me. I'm sure you're not hearing from anybody that USC beat and saying it should have been me to win the national title, not USC. The Dodgers are just making it all about themselves, and they just need to shut the hell up. All right, I'm going to go take a quick commercial break before I get even more heated. Back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. 11.30, Beth Farina joining the program. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 103.7 The Game.
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Live from the 1037 The Game studios, as always, hey, I got a few minutes. The 1037 The Game hotline wide open, 337-706-0111. If you want to get in on the conversation, and you know, I'm going to talk about the Pelicans a little bit, but I just saw the pictures of the memorial, the statue for Tony Show. Absolutely outstanding. I absolutely love the way it, it captures him perfectly. If you missed my thoughts on him earlier, you can actually check it out, 1037thegame.com. I'll have it up on demand a little bit later on in the afternoon. I'm definitely going to have a video up on um, uh, the show Twitter account. I'm uh, under, at Under the Dome CD. Just that simple, Under the Dome CD. That's how you check us out on the Twitter machine. Oh, actually, Under the Dome CD is what it is. Recommend you check that out. We're going to have a lot of other cool content as well. We're going to have Betrina on in a few minutes, but I want to spend some time talking about those New Orleans Pelicans at the All-Star break. I got to say, this is turned out way better than I think anybody could have expected. Why am I saying that? Because I think that the Pelicans are set up for pretty good things down the road. Of course, I also think they've got a ways to go. They're about five games back of the they are five games back of the Memphis Grizzlies for the eight spot. Who have they got behind in front of them? The Spurs, the Trailblazers, and of course the Grizzlies. They're currently eleventh, twenty three and thirty two on the year. Kind of stumbled into the All Star break. I can't say they're like horrible heading into the break, but they're doing really good. Just not to the level I think Pelicans fans want. Because the fact that they wanted them to win that game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, especially the way they handled the Trailblazers just the other night. That being said, the Pelicans have a chance to move up in the world after the second half of the season. You have Brandon Ingram. He'll be back healthy. You've got Zion Williamson, a strong Rookie of the Year candidate. I mean, last night he damn near destroyed a backboard. If you didn't watch the video, he actually checked it out. It, it was like, that's exactly what happened. You saw your boy, Zion Williamson, absolutely crush the basketball. He slammed, jammed it downtown, and it was perfect. Everything about that. The Pelicans rookie is going to be probably second in the rookie of the year rankings. If he didn't have that injury, if he's able to be 100% healthy all year long, I say the Pelicans have a rookie of the year in Zion Williamson. We've seen him continue to escalate. Nine games in, he's had a couple 30-point games. He's done he's done some stuff that nobody's ever been able to do before. There's some incredibly deep analytics into what he's been able to do. The youngest player to put up like 31 points and five boards and five assists. Let me pull up the actual statistic. Because it is just honestly sometimes confusing as all get out to see some of those statistics. And again, a lot of this is from basketball reference. But also give credit to our guy Mason Ginsburg of Bourbon Street Shots. He actually tweeted this out right after it happened. So he actually has pulled up the stat and did the research. Is that the youngest player to post a stat line like Zion did against the Trailblazers was his line was 31, 9, and 5. 31 points, 9 boards, 5 assists in under 30 minutes. 
Luka Doncic did it at 20 years, 265 days old. Zion now has passed him up in this very, very obscure statistic. Again, this is coming from basketball reference. In terms of putting up 31, 9, and 5. Or more, obviously, because the case of Luka, he's done that twice in his young career already. He did it once against the Pels just this past December at two, uh, 20 years old in 278 days. He did this twice just this season. So it really tells you how good Doncic is and then Zion Williamson in his ninth game. Ninth game does it. 28 minutes, 31 points, 9 boards, and 5 assists. This is the future of your franchise. I talked about it yesterday on Bid Show. This is the last chance for the Pelicans to really make a stronghold in terms of making basketball relevant in this state. They fail. This franchise might as well move to Vegas. Zion Williamson wants to do the same thing AD did and the same thing Chris Paul did and get traded just to further their brand. I guarantee you the NBA will be without the Pelicans. They'll be moving over to Las Vegas and be the Las Vegas Pelicans like the Utah Jazz did, like the New Orleans Jazz did when they moved over to Utah after they they were, they were clear that they could not make money in Louisiana in terms of basketball. Go ahead and take a quick timeout. LSU softball coach Beth Tarina joins the program next. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are 11. Now, back to the show that brings the heat. On Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 1037 The Game studios as always. And we got a special guest aboard the game hotline. She is in her ninth year as a head coach of the LSU softball program. Tigers currently ranked seventh in the NFCA coaches polls. Heading into this weekend, she is currently six games out from reaching 500 career wins as a coach. And the person I'm talking about is on the game hotline right now, and that is softball head coach Beth Tarina. Beth, how's it going? Great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you joining the program. I'm doing Great, and we're going to start things off looking back at the weekend that was one weekend in the books. It looks like your Tigers are firing off all cylinders with a 5-0 and start, including a pair of wins over then 13th-ranked Oklahoma State, now they're ranked 16th. What were some of the big takeaways you had after the Tiger Classic about your team? Well, I think that there's a lot of ways we need to keep getting better, obviously, and keep growing, but I was proud of the effort that they put in thought they were prepared. I thought we had, you know, like you said, a well-rounded performance. I thought our pitching staff kept us in every game. I thought we got some timely hits. I thought our defense improved as the as the weekend went on. So it was nice to see them come off with a solid start. But like I said, we still have a lot of ways. We've got to keep growing and, and keep building as the season goes. Talk right now with LSU softball head coach Beth Farina and Coach 
Georgia Clark, sophomore, had a big weekend with a pair of home runs. How much have you seen her improve from her freshman season to now? Well, you know, we talked about it this week that part of the making the decision to come to a university like LSU or somebody that competes at such a high level, you know, I think part of making that decision is understanding that sometimes you've got to wait your turn. And I think Georgia Clark was equally as talented a hitter last year. Um, we just had a lot of upperclassmen and veteran players and talented players in front of her. So um, it's nice that she didn't cash in and she kept working and kept pushing. And now when her moment is here, she's ready for it and obviously capitalized on it. And we're proud of the weekend that she put in. And I know there's big things to come for her in her future. Looking at the rest of the roster that you have, I think there's a couple interesting names in there. Obviously, you've got two girls whose fathers played in the NFL. you got Carrington Hushmanzada, daughter of T.J. Hushmanzada. Then you have Shelby Wickersham, daughter of a former quarterback in the NFL. It's always interesting to hear about second-generation athletes, regardless of what sport they're in. What have you seen from these two, and are they kind of the leaders of the pack, especially when you look at Wickersham? Yeah, it's fun to see Shelly pitch, and it's fun to see her family and her dad sit, you know, and watch her. And I know the first time she took the field in purple and gold, it was a big moment for him. And I can only imagine what it would be like to have, you know, my own daughter out there wearing the same colors I got to wear and pitching for my university. I think it was a really cool thing for their family. I'm, I'm happy that she was able to accomplish it and that we were able to make this happen for him. And now let's kind of get down to brass tacks, and the biggest reason I think we're all getting ready for softball this weekend is the big match of the two games y'all have on tap against the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. you got one going on later today inside of Edgerard Field at Amherst Park, then, make the tri- then the Cajuns make the trip over to Tiger Park on Sunday. And y'all have played each other over the last few years, but it's been NCAA regional play. How excited are you to have an opportunity to split a pair of games with the Cajuns in the regular season, considering the fact that y'all are always kind of in the consideration of being in the top 10, top 15 in all these polls. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I think it's going to be great for the state of Louisiana. I think it's going to be huge for softball in Louisiana. I think we're going to have all eyes from all over the country on Louisiana this weekend, and I think that's a really, really great thing because we have some special players here in this state, and it's nice for us to spread the word throughout the entire country. And this is obviously a station broadcast in the heart of Cajun country, Beth. And for a while, after Yvette Girard left to go coach at LSU, until recently it felt like there was a lot of bad blood between these two programs. What's changed between your program and the Cajuns now with Jerry Glasgow at the helm to get this series put together? Well, I have a lot of respect for their program. I have a lot of respect for what they've done. I have a lot of respect for Coach Girard and what she's done at both universities. So, um, I think it'll be really neat to play on Yvette Gerard Field because she's meant so much to both universities. And, you know, I, I know they're a great program, and I know they're going to be a, a huge challenge. They're extremely talented. So and I, I think that's great for both schools. I think we're both playing for May. We're both trying to play for the end of the season. So we're looking for ways to make our team better as we go through this really long season. So any opportunity we have to take the field against someone of their caliber, I think we should take it. Talk right now with LSU softball head coach Beth Torino on 1037 The Game. And we brought up Yvette Gerard, and she seems to kind of be the bridge of the gap between the Cajuns and LSU after all she coached at the Cajuns, really helped establish that program for what it is over here in Cajun country, then helped really kind of bring LSU to some really big heights before she left and then you took over. But when it comes to Yvette Gerard, how much did she have to do with kind of that I bring up a bridge for a big reason being rebuilt between these two programs to where we're seeing them face off 
this weekend? I think it's going to be nice having her in the booth um, at both games. She's going to call both games. I can't think of a better person to know about both teams and call the game for both teams. I think it's going to be really fun for the fans. I'd love to listen to her, too. I think she's going to give a lot of great insight on both programs. She really knows the history and the depths of both universities. So I think it's going to be really, really great. I'm excited about the opportunity for her. And um, I'm, I'm glad that both universities have uh, honored her the way they have because she deserves it. She is softball in Louisiana. I mean, she's, you know, the reason why both programs stand in the state that they are is because of her efforts and her work. So, um, we're, you know, we're proud to have her name on our facility and proud to play on a field where um, her name's on the field this weekend, too. Now, Beth, I think this question is what I think everybody wants to ask is the Millie Dark question, if you will. Does this weekend kind of two game series at Lampson Park and then also at Tiger Park this weekend? Does that open up the possibility of having a series against the Cajuns, be it every year or every other year? Definitely, definitely. It's something Jerry and I have talked about, and of course, our there's a lot of things that go into it, right? There's a lot of things with our conference schedule and academic calendars and things, but it's definitely something that we would like to do. You know, we've tossed around some 2021 dates already. I think it's something we'd love to continue. It's um, a great opportunity for both schools, just someone with such a strong RPI right down the road an hour away. I think we need to capitalize that and you know i think it will help both teams to take the field against each other win or lose no matter what happens i think it's going to be a great scenario for both of us now kind of getting on that same tangent beth do you think it could wind up being a lot like what we're seeing now where it could be like a home and home type situation where let's say if you're going to play the cajuns in 2021 at tiger park 2022 lampson park would be the site for next year's game I have no idea. I wouldn't want to speculate on that because that's not something we've discussed. We like how we're doing it this year. We like one at their place and one at our place. We thought that was cool. Um, we've you know, talked about trying to find a way to get a third game if possible, but I, I don't know that the schedules will allow for that. But um, I, I don't know if I can speculate on that. It, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but we've definitely talked about playing in 2021, and um, we'd like the setup of how it is this year. Talk right now with head coach Beth Three in a couple more moments with her. What concerns you most about this Cajuns team? Because I think one of the big things for me that I've noticed is the fact that they have that second pitcher in Megan Kleist. It's not all on Summer Ellison like it has been in the past. It's not all about just one pitcher. Now there's a second pitcher in the mix. I know that's worked out quite well for you all in the past as well. What do you think about the fact that now they have kind of a more consistent second pitcher or, as Jerry Glasgow has put it, a 1A and a 1B in Summer Ellison and Megan Kleist? Yeah, without question. I mean, they are so talented. They're both so good. You know, I mean, Summer was great in her own right, and Megan was great in her own right. And then you put them together, and you have a really tough combination. So they're um, going to be a huge challenge. You know, I think they're going to be really talented, and we have a work cut out for us there. And then add their offense to it, and they have just some great players from top to bottom. You know, they're a really solid team, and we have nothing but respect for what Jerry's done. And um, for this program, I think they're going to be a, a very tough challenge. So the, you know, the nice thing about our team is is they like to be challenged. They came here for a challenge. We get challenged virtually every weekend in the SEC. Every weekend we play seems to have a super regional feel, and I know this will feel the same way when we when we come over there. I mentioned at the top of the interview that you're nearing 500 career wins as a head coach. How does it feel knowing you're about to hit a huge coaching milestone? Well, I had no idea of that until you said that, actually. So <laughs> um, I really don't put a whole lot of weight into that. I didn't play any of those games. The girls played all of those games, and I've just been fortunate to have a really great, great group of players that have done that. And 
some special people. When I think about those milestones, I just really think about the young women that have won those games and all they've accomplished, all they're continuing to accomplish in their life. I think that's my greatest success as a coach is seeing them succeed in their lives after and doctors and teachers and coaches and all of those moments. Those are the things that make me the proudest. So those are their wins, not mine. Beth, thank you so much for joining the show. We need to do this again sometime, and good luck the rest of the way this year. You got it. Thanks so much for having me. All right, that was LSU softball head coach Beth Torina joining the program. Absolutely great stuff right now to kind of talk about some college softball. It's the second week of the season, and we get this kind of marquee matchup. Again, the seventh-ranked LSU Tigers, and I believe right now the Cajuns are ranked 13th in the NFCA polls. That loss against North Texas hurt them a little bit, but at the end of the day, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns in LSU softball should be playing every single year. It's a take I think everybody can agree with. You need to have the best, play the best, regardless of what sport. Football, basketball, baseball, softball. You need to have the best, play the best. And when it's an in-state rivalry, it adds just a little bit more to it. I'm looking forward to seeing these two teams face off, hopefully, more in the future. But in the future, we can just walk off on this segment right here, right now. We can call it a day and walk it off into the end zone for a touchdown. Well, guess what? We're not done yet. I've got one more take and it's the three most important letters right here, right now. XFL. What am I talking about? You'll have to listen in next. Right here on 1037 The Game, you're listening to Under the Dome with CD. Every time CD takes the mic, is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, let's get back to Under the Dome with CD. On Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD as we kind of get you through the ups and downs of a wonderful weekend in February. I mentioned earlier, I know there's a Mardi Gras parade going on right now in the heart of Karenker, which I'm not far from. Honestly, I think I have a little fun with this to start off before I get to one last take. And that involves kind of driving through traffic around Mardi Gras season. It is the absolute worst. There, I said it. Like, there's so many great things about the state of Louisiana. Mardi Gras parades are one of them. But... I also think that the way parades are and the way they barricade off stuff is an absolute mess. And on a day like today, when you've got a parade going on in an area like Carriker, Louisiana, you kind of run into some issues. You, you had some snags along the way. And there are a lot of things that I just was, let me just say, did not feel like dealing with today. And the biggest thing was the fact that there was a lot of traffic around. There was a lot of floats still driving around, still getting set up. And if you're driving around the front of the road, you were going to deal with a lot of extra you-know-what. So a lot of it was on me, but guess what? I managed to get here. But it's, again, still very frustrating to kind of like deal with that kind of traffic versus, obviously, the kind of draft traffic you at home, you in your car, you listening on the mobile app, whatever you're doing, and you're listening in, I think that the fact, you know, 
we're looking at just how things are here. And I'm not I'm not hating on it. But man oh man. Whenever you're just trying to avoid Mardi Gras floats and you've got music playing beyond level. You know, we we've jokingly said like we should have a show do like a, like a live remote from a parade. I guarantee you that would be a mistake. I guarantee you that would be a mistake to for anybody to even like remotely think of that. Because the fact you've got other Mardi Gras floats and they've got music and sometimes the music could be in, unintentionally left as the explicit version. Trust me, I've seen that happen before. But it just feels like that would be an absolute mess and a half to deal with. If you're talking about setting up shop and basically doing a live remote from a parade float, I think that would be a bad idea. Not a fan of that idea. If anybody wants to pitch it to me, I will I gladly push that to the side. But, of course, somebody would need to be here to push the buttons and basically handle that. But, of course, we're wrapping up the show here, and I like to do things differently than most. And trust me, if you know me well enough, you know which direction I'm taking this final segment of the show, especially after last weekend, because we had Alan Michael on, talked a half hour about the XFL. Now that week one is in the books, week two is about to be coming up, I've got some thoughts and opinions that maybe I haven't expunged upon. I guess that will be the right use of the word, I guess. But I've got thoughts about the XFL. I'm going to get to them right now. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. What an opening weekend for the XFL 2.0. The reboot was a success, unlike some reboots in the past. <clears throat> uh, Batman vs. Superman. I, okay, that was a bad execution of that, but you get where I've come from. Bad execution from Batman Superman, but great execution from the XFL. The first game couldn't have been any better. The Seattle Dragons and the DC Defenders. Highly entertaining Incredible trick plays, just in, just straight up fun football. Something I think that was missing from the first go round of the XFL and last year's AAF, which was the Firefest of football. When it comes down to it, I absolutely loved what I saw from the XFL because of the fact that there was actually good football. There was good quality football. The first day, of course. The first day it was definitely the best. Day two definitely had some kinks to work out. I think you could say Dallas Roughnecks, not exactly the best start for them. Everything all around. I'll say right here, right now, I think the, the fact that the XFL is poised to succeed. It's built to last. Now, how long is built to last? I say the entire season. Season two, I'll see. Because I want to see if the quality of play keeps improving week in and week out. If the quality improves week in and week out, then we can talk about a whole different thing. We can talk about the fact that the XFL proving, once again, spring football can work. I think there's also some other kinks that need to be worked out. 
The New York Gardens should not be playing, should not be playing in MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Playing a soccer stadium because it looks bad on television. There was hardly a soul in there. Why don't you guess the fact there's no way you're going to get that many people to be in an XFL game, let alone a Giants or Jets game. It's just stating facts. I think it works better and looks better in a soccer stadium. The D.C. Defenders playing in a, in a soccer stadium. The Texas Rangers are playing inside of a or the Texas Rangers. The what I'm going to talk about here. The Dallas Dallas and the Renegades are playing a. It's just ridiculous to see what's going on with the XFL and what's causing all this. Everybody's kind of deriding it. The XFL has a lot of great things going for it. The over-under, the spread showing up on the screen. Talked about it with Greg earlier. Also, the fact that there's transparency with the referees talking about why they call this play, why this play is being reviewed, whether or not it's confirmed or stated. It gives you an idea of what, of what the sausage looks like when it's being made. And that is just something I think the football-loving populace has been missing. So give me the XFL to last this entire 2020 season. 2021, I give it every chance to succeed as well. They've got a three-year deal. I think they've got every chance to be at that level of competition for quite some time. The XFL, for me, it is built to last for the long haul. It is meant to last until they want to shut it down. I think this thing can last the three years and then some. But I need to see the level of play for all eight teams, not just the D.C. Defenders and the Houston Roughnecks. I need to see all eight teams continue to improve week in and week out, and then we can talk about the long-term future. Short-term future, great. Long-term future, definitely, for me at least, in question. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the program today. Billy Embody joined the show. We also had Greg Peterson and LSU softball coach Beth Tarina. Tried getting Robin Lundberg, but things just didn't necessarily work out. Appreciate him for at least getting in touch with me. Could have just said, could have outright said no, but tis what it is. We're going to move on, get ready for next week's show. And I got a pretty good idea. We're going to have some, some really fun guests for that one as well. We'll be back after, well, actually, we'll be back next week. You listen to 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. This is Under the Dome with CD. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah.